This morning's text is from 1 Peter 3, verses 8 through 12. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. It's a beautiful day. It's an excellent opportunity for us to gather here to anticipate the Word of God doing its work on our heart. And so I pray that as we gather, you approach the Word with anticipation. So let us just start our time by seeking our Father's blessing in prayer. So Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you for the gift of your Word, which is actively engaging those corners of our life that we often try to hide from you. And so I pray, Father, that in our time today, we will be honest as your word exposes those areas. I pray that as we leave this place, we will leave with a better understanding and a better application of how to represent you in a world that is opposed to all that you bring. And so, Lord, may we represent you well. We pray these things in the glorious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. When babies first start talking, it is a really cute thing. Some of you have children and grandchildren that are of that age where they're starting to say their first few words, and as they begin to talk, everyone hears them, and it's a big event, and we all respond with, aw, right? It's really cute. Now, as children age, it becomes less cute to hear them talk. And as they get a little older, teenage years, it's even less cute sometimes to hear them talk. When children are in their toddler years, oftentimes their language changes a bit. And the typical words of dada and mama and hi and doggy and ball, all those things that were cute, we love them, now transition to words like mine, I want. And those words often are accompanied by physical reactions, throwing themselves down. And so no longer are the words used to point out objects. Words are now used to express unmet desires. And it's super revealing, isn't it? And it's oftentimes frustrating as parents. But it's revealing about our experience for a lot of us are similar even still at the age which we find ourselves in. When we face things that we don't like, we oftentimes have a little bit of a temper tantrum. We excuse the truth that we are faced with or we might move away from it and create a new truth that we would like to hold to. And so maybe, just maybe, these last few weeks where we have been exposed to 1 Peter's teaching on submission, maybe we are finding ourselves feeling a little bit like a toddler. 
We're facing a truth that maybe is hard for us to adapt, the idea of submission, the idea that we are to be in a posture of submission in a world that, frankly, we don't think deserves it. And so we wrestle with it. We fight with that truth, all in the attempt to maybe wiggle out of it, maybe find a little caveat that allows us to not be so submissive. Yet, as we look through Scripture, and as in 1 Peter chapter 2 and chapter 3 clearly teach, there is a reality, an expectation upon us as Christians that as we profess faith in Christ with our mouth, then our life will match his teachings. See, Christianity is not just a gathering of ideas that we accumulate. It is indeed a gathering of ideas that we accumulate and then live out. And so as we come face to face with these ideas and these teachings presented in 1 Peter, understand that these are not meant to be read and assented to intellectually, but meant to be read, wrestled with, and lived out. So turn with me, 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 8 through 12 in our time today. And as we wrestle with these truths, I want us to begin with the idea that God desires his community, his church, his Christians to be known for our submission. God desires that we are known for our submission. And as we live in this posture of submission, that we will live as a blessed people. And so Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, reveals that there is a demonstrated posture of submission that we are to live in. And it begins with our hearts. It begins with our hearts. We need to have a heartfelt submission. Looking at the text here in verse 8 of chapter 3 in 1 Peter, Peter begins this section by saying, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. And so as Peter begins this final segment on submission, He begins by saying, finally, to reference that this is a summary of all that he has been teaching previous. And so if you look back in the previous chapters of chapter 2, you see that he calls us to be submitted to authority, those that God has placed in a position of authority. And then he gets a little more personal when he says that we should be submitted to those that we work for. And then he gets a little more personal when he says, in your marriage relationships, be submissive. In those three areas, we oftentimes try to not be so submissive. We try to find justification for how we can get out of that idea, that principle that he is giving us. And so in this final section, he says, here's the quality of your life that we need to have in place to be submissive people. And in this segment, he lists five characteristics that make up the humble or the submissive Christian. And those five characteristics are unity of thought, a sympathy, brotherly love, tender hearts, and humility. Let's define them just briefly here. A unity of mind. What does that mean? Does that mean that we all think the same, that we all are programmed to think as a group and only respond the same way on all thoughts that we have, that's not at all what Peter's mentioning. 
But what Peter is insinuating and pointing us to is that as Christians, as we relate to one another in a submissive posture, that we will have a clarity of mind that comes from understanding the essentials that make up our faith. There's many that we could list, but just for the sake of looking through 1 Peter and how he has kind of taught a few things, I'm going to pull out three specifically. One is that we essentially gather around and celebrate the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and our need for it. Not one person in this room should move away from celebrating that fact. We agree that we need Jesus Christ. And then we set our hope on Christ. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13, he tells us that. We set our hope on Jesus Christ. And then we anticipate the day when we will see Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 4, 7 through 11. So unity of mind gathered around these essential truths. Moving then into sympathy. Sympathy means basically that we enter into the experience of one another. That we share in their sorrows or we share in their joys. It's a common refrain that we've heard time and time again throughout the scriptures. We see in Romans chapter 12 verse 15, Paul say, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And then Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians and identifies us as a body of believers and says when one member of the body, when part of the body hurts, all parts of the body suffer. We should be a people who sympathize with one another. Even as we have a Savior who sympathizes for us, Hebrews 4.15 tells us that. So, unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, next. We are all related. Look around. This is your family, brothers and sisters. We call one another those terms of endearment, those terms of affection, those terms of relationship, because that is what we are. How did we become brothers and sisters? It's because we are all adopted into the family of God by the work of Jesus Christ. And so we all have a common starting point, and we relate to God the same way through his son, Jesus Christ. And so, as a result of that, like it or not, I am your brother. Welcome to my family. How good it is to have this affection for one another. As we are brothers and sisters, what that means is that we have connections that are deeper than casual relationships because it is rooted in the love and the adoption of God. A tender heart. Next. A little different than sympathy. This is a a response that wells up from within. It comes from the core of your being where you have a heart that is pointed to those that are hurting. Always aware of those that are in need. Always actively engaging to bring about comfort. A tender heart. And then lastly, a humble mind. Not to be haughty, not to be puffed up, not to be proud. And the reality is that these previous four characteristics only happen when we live as a people who are conscious of our position before God. Friends, I want to tell you that as Christians, we have nothing to be proud about except for Jesus Christ. We just sang a song that says that we boast in Christ. 
We have nothing else. All that we have has been given us by the Almighty God through Jesus Christ. And so therefore, we have no position to be proud, but only humility that we operate out of. And as we do, we will be tender of heart. We will have brotherly love. We will be sympathetic. And we will have unity of mind as we gather around the things of Jesus Christ. And so what's fascinating about this list, and perhaps you are following along with me in this, is that as you think of these things, you identify that these are all other-focused. These five points are all other-focused. They only become real as you live them out for others. As you sit at home by yourself, you cannot look in the mirror and say, I am compassionate to myself. I am humble No, these things only become real as you live them towards others. And you'll notice that they also are feelings. How can Peter command us to feel differently towards one another? It's a gigantic question that he has answered already. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 kind of gives us a a baseline how he can even make this desired command that we should indeed be these five points, these five characteristics. In 1 Peter chapter 5 verses Uh, Verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so we have a new birth with a living activity within us, causing us to live differently, giving us a new heart. The Holy Spirit regenerates us and causes us to have new affections. So yes, Peter can say to us, feel differently because you have a heart that feels different towards others now. So not only does he give us the illustration that we have a new heart, but he also in 1 Peter chapter 2, 21, tells us that we should look to Jesus Christ as the example. And if you look at these five points that we just mentioned that Peter lists in 1 Peter 3, 8, we see Christ exemplifying them. Christ exemplified unity with his mind unity in his mind, with the Father's will. He was sympathetic with others as he felt the pain of his friends as he mourned with Mary and Martha over the loss of Lazarus. Remember, what did he do there? He wept. Why did he weep? And John, it says in John 11, that he wept because his heart was sad for his friend's mourning. He was full of brotherly love, as he taught his disciples what love was, greater love has no man than this, then he laid down his life for his friends. He was tender in his heart as he had compassion on those that were the least of these, as he touched the untouchables, as he made eye contact with those that he shouldn't have looked at. And he was humble as he took the form of a servant and he carried our sins, your sins, my sins, upon his back as he climbed the hill of Calvary. Christ's submission to the will of the Father was evident to all. And so too, God's community will be known for our submission. It's a new heart we have a heartfelt submission that we should have for one another. And it plays itself out by the way in which we submit to the world around us. The heart of submission that we have turns into a reactive submission. If you look at verse 9 here, Peter goes on and says, Do not repay 
evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. If verse 8 is how we live submissively in the body of Christ, then verse 9 takes us into the engagements that we find in the world. And this is where we get in trouble. Because as we engage the world, we then begin to excuse our attitudes, excuse our feelings, excuse our engagements, and we begin to operate in a way that is not submissive. And I would say, maybe we would be more defined, not so much as submissive people, but as defiant people. In fact, I would wager that most of our instincts as we engage people in this world is to be a bit defiant. Why? Well, I'll just give you my reason. There's nothing better than confessing in a room full of people, so I'll just do that. The reason that I don't submit is many times I don't think people are worthy of my submission. They've done something to wrong me. They have an attitude that I don't agree with. They have a philosophy that I obviously think is wrong. And so why should I give them the honor of my submission? No humility in that at all. But notice, if you look at this passage, and believe me, I've been staring at this passage for a few weeks now, I cannot find any sort of caveat to get out of this. There's not a little hidden verse that pops up and says, you should be submissive except for this scenario. There's nothing like that. But rather, I think Peter kind of puts his thumb on us a bit in this because look at what he says in verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling, but on the contrary, bless. It's a stunning contrast. The world around us has a pattern in which they engage with one another. They accuse, and so then they accuse back. They shame, and so then shame is given back. They hate, and so hate is given back. They engage in acts of evil against someone, and so acts of evil are returned. Vengeance is the way in which the world operates. And this is the world that Christians lived and live in currently. And in this world, Peter says that we are not to participate in that destructive and defensive brutality, but rather we should restrain from that and be a people of blessing. A stunning and actively opposite response. And the intent here isn't that the world would look at us and say, man, they are just really well-behaved people. Look at the discipline they have. The intent is that as we live in a submissive posture over time, actively blessing those who revile us, those who engage in acts of evil against us, the intent is that the world would see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The intent is always that the world would know that there is a kingdom that God reigns. And it caused me to ask a significant question of my own heart, and I pray that it's a question that I'm not alone in asking. I wonder if the world sees our response when we are attacked, and I wonder if they marvel at the depth and the significance and the beauty of Christianity, or I wonder if they are turned off by our defiant posture. 
And so Peter reflects the teachings that he heard from Jesus Christ. When Christ looked at his disciples in Matthew chapter 4, or Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, and he told them, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And identifying Mark, that you are a child of God, is the way in which you deal with and engage those who revile you and are evil towards you. And here Peter says, as he sums up submission, be a person who blesses. Why should we bless? He gives you the answer in verse 9. We should bless, for to this you were called. Christian, if you've ever wondered what your calling is on this earth as a Christian, here it is. Very clearly, cut and dried, right in front of you. Your calling as a Christian in this world is to be a blessing amidst a world of cursing. To be someone who blesses intentionally and actively. And in just a bit, I'm going to tell you how we bless. But until then, look with me at verse 10. You'll notice here in verse 10 of 1 Peter chapter 3 that Peter now begins to quote from Psalm 34. Why does he begin to engage Psalm 34 here as he talks about submission in the New Testament? Well, because he knows us. Peter knows himself, and he says, I know that I am always trying to find a way out of submitting myself to those in authority, and so I'm going to give you an illustration of how to submit. And so he takes us to Psalm 34. I want you to put your thumb in 1 Peter chapter 3 and turn to the left in your Bibles to Psalm 34. Just spend a little bit of time here just so that we can find the context of what we're looking at. Psalm 34 verse 1, and even before that, there's an introduction that describes what is happening in this psalm. The title of this psalm, by the way, it says, Of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. Side note, if you want to learn more about this story, 1 Samuel chapter 21 would be a great engagement. But the long and the short of it is that in this psalm, David is in the midst of a distressful situation, tremendous distress, as he is on the run from someone who is frankly trying to kill him. You see, David had been anointed king of Israel by Samuel. He knew that he had the position of being king, yet he was forced to go into hiding because of King Saul. And King Saul at this point had become a very evil man, actively pursuing the harm of David. And so David was forced to go into exile. Here's David. Faced with an evil king, knowing his position as the next king was confirmed by God's prophet Samuel, he could have risen and he could have overthrown the evil and the oppressive king Saul at this point in time. And many in Israel, and I would also say probably many of us on this side of history, would have applauded and encouraged David's overthrow of King Saul. Yet, look back at Psalm 34, the very first verse, the first verse that David writes as he in, is in exile, running for his life from an evil king. The first thing he says is, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall be continually 
on my lips or in my mouth. In the midst of the most distressful situation, the most offensive situation, he announces that his intent is not to claim that which is rightfully his, but rather to wait upon God in the midst of this distressful situation, trusting in God's rule. Why? Because he's worthy of it. That's where David says he will praise him. And so Peter has chosen Psalm 34 as a way to encourage the Christian in their calling to be submissive. For if David is submissive in the midst of this situation, in the midst of an unbelieving and evil world, then we too should be submissive in the midst of our unbelieving and evil world that we find ourselves in without exception. And so the question then is how do we bless this evil and unbelieving world? How do we do so? Well, for that, the answer lies back in 1 Peter. So hopefully you still have your thumb there. Turn back over to 1 Peter chapter 3. In verse 10, Peter quotes from Psalm again and says that we should be a people of blessing as we keep our tongues from evil. 1 Peter 3.10. What's an evil tongue? He asked that question. We know that the Bible talks a lot about the power of the tongue in a positive and negative way. An evil tongue would be a tongue that perpetuates the hopeless and dark perspectives that are common among those who have no hope. Rather, the Christian should have a tongue that is not full of spite, but full of the Spirit. You should speak differently than the world around us. Secondly, we should bless as we have lips that do not spread lies. This is difficult today. Social media has made this tremendously difficult. Another way of saying this second point is that we shouldn't be a gossip. Do not look for opportunities to undo someone or to perpetuate a myth or to perpetuate a rumor that you don't know to be true. And in doing so, you cause great harm. Do not do that. Why do we do this, though? Because we are attempting to put our stake in the ground as regards to a kingdom that we think we have and are trying to expand. Christian, we have no king but Jesus, and we have no kingdom but his. And so may our words be pointed to him as the way and as the truth and as the life, and may our activity reflect his statements. We should bless as we seek and we pursue peace in the midst of conflict. Back to David as an illustration. David had two opportunities where he could have taken the life of King Saul. Some of you are familiar with those illustrations. One is he came upon Saul in a cave, or actually Saul came into the cave that David was in, and David simply cut off a piece of his robe, had a chance to kill him, but didn't. Secondly, another chance, Saul was in his tent asleep and David was there and had prime opportunity to end the life of Saul and did not, but simply took a piece of his armor. And in both times, he said, I cannot harm the man who God has in place. David was a real-life illustration of one who submitted to the way and rule of the Almighty God over himself. And so may we be a people who are filtering our actions through 
that filter of God's reign and God's rule, not our own emotions and our own feelings of what is right. And as we do so, it brings us into the last section of our passage. For the submitted Christian, because we're called to be submitted, the submitted Christian will then be a blessed people. If you look back at the text here in verse 9, Peter says, Blessed, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. It's a very real promise that Peter is highlighting to his readers and to us today. And this is a promise that God has taught time and time again throughout the Word of God, that as you live in obedience to his reign and rule, there is an accompanying blessing that comes upon you. Now this is where some of your ears have perked up, because you want the blessing. Look at the points of blessing that he highlights here. One is a love of life and good days. We all want to have a love of life and days that are good. Yet, it seems like life is often heavy, full of trials, full of sadness. This blessing from God upon his people who are in a posture of submission isn't the promise that those days of sadness and struggle will go away. This is the promise that his strength will be upon you. You will be anchored by the God who holds you. Which leads to the second blessing, that the eyes, of the, the eyes and ears of the Lord are open to you. He sees you. He hears you. As we go through Peter, there's a common refrain, a common concern from Peter, that prayers will not be heard by God. Talked about that as far as, as far as husbands submitting to their wives, that your prayers may not be hindered. And here again, as you live in a posture of submission, he references the reality that your prayers will be heard by God. There's a reality that as we live in obedience to God, then we commune with God. He hears us. And as we live this way, there's an added blessing. In Psalm 34, verse 22, back to Psalm 34, you can jot this down. It's the last verse of Psalm 34. And as David has recounted the work of God in preserving him, and as he struggled with the reality that he was on the run and he was in exile and he was facing all that, that, came, all that came with that, and as he recounted the blessing of the Lord, he ends with this blessing. He says, The Lord redeems the life of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. So many times we refuse to submit because we are afraid that we will be undone. And in Psalm 34, 22, David says, Rest assured that as a child of God, as you submit and live in obedience to God, as he hears your prayers, you will be held secure. So Christian, we are able to submit. We are able to submit because we know the certainty that God holds our future. And it is his kingdom that we ultimately submit to. This section of Scripture is an interesting section. It's a hard one. 
It's a hard one. I don't want to submit, but I'm called by God to live in a posture of submission. And I asked the question as I came to the end of this passage, why does Peter spend so much time in this short, birth, short book emphasizing the reality that we are to be a people who submit? First to the authorities, then to our employers, then our spouses, and then in these characteristics that we take on. Why does he spend so much time speaking about this? Well, in the weeks to come, you'll see as we go through Peter, he tells us that we should be a people who live in a posture of submission because there will be days when suffering will come upon you. And it is that posture of submission that will strengthen you in the midst of the suffering. Suffering will come, has come. Evil will come upon you. You will be reviled. But the one who trusts in the hand of God and lives for the kingdom of God in the midst of these moments will indeed be blessed by God. You will be held secure. One note of challenge, friends, as we close. We face a very great temptation today. All of us in this room do. We face the temptation that the early church experienced. It's the temptation to lay aside the example of our submissive Savior and instead return evil for evil, reviling for reviling. Friends, may you understand as I am trying to understand that God has called us to be a people of submission so that we might indeed reflect his reign and in doing so we understand this last point that the submitted Christian will be one who serves others, will bless the world, and will be strengthened by the reign and the rule of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time in your word. I ask, Lord, that you would produce fruit as the word wrestles with our heart. Lord, may you reveal and bring to light those areas that we need to surrender to you, that we are slow to do so. And so, Lord, may we, even in this moment, confess to you that we are a people who are stiff-necked, are defiant. And so, Lord, may, by your good graces, may you create within us a heart that is desirous to honor you by the way in which we bless others. I thank you, Father, for your good hand of blessing upon us, that by your Son, Jesus Christ, we have relationship with you, that we have the promise of your presence, and so, Lord, it's in that promise of your presence that we indeed can face this day, we can indeed face tomorrow. I thank you, Father, for your word. I ask that your word, your word would do good work in our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen.